Welcome to Leading from the Heart, giving you the tools to be a more effective leader with your hosts, Chris Ramsey and Greg Guthrie. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Leading from the Heart. My name is Chris Ramsey and I'm in studio with my tag team partner, Mr. Greg Guthrie. Greg, hello and welcome, sir. Hello again. Well, we are, man, just wading slowly and deliberately through uh, our Effective Leadership Guide, which is a, a seminal document we put out uh, in 2021. If you haven't already accessed that, uh, go ahead and grab that on the Learning and Development Group within Workplace here at the Center for Children and Families. Uh, if you'd like access outside of the agency, uh, you can email me at cramsey at stanforhope.org. So, Greg, we are finding ourselves uh, just at the beginning stages of the personal development domain of the Effective Leadership Guide. We have talked about uh, a servant's heart. We have talked about a willingness to develop as a person. And so today we land on the key skill characteristic behavior of introspection. And so I'd like to read from our guide just what we're talking about, and then we're going to dive into how we do this uh, as leaders and people. So introspection is looking at oneself to understand internal processes, cognitive narratives, emotional responses, internal motivations, Etc. So there's a lot to it for sure. So today we're going to talk about uh, the ancient Greek wisdom of know thyself. Uh, we're going to talk about what's involved with introspection, like how do you actually do that? And then we'll end like we do with so many of these episodes talking about practical takeaways. What can I do today if I wanted to practice this idea of introspection? Uh, give me some practical things to do. So it's a lot before us. Yep. Uh, very personal work today, Greg, as we talk, talk about introspection. So we'll do a trigger warning that this uh, is probably going to bring up some emotions for you and I both, because if we do this well, uh, it will go deep into our soul. So just kind of start out that way. Yeah, and as I already told you, I don't really want to do this. Talk about my <laughs> yeah. family of origin yeah. and my uh, brokenness, uh, which is, I was saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, it you know, in the last cast, we talked about, you know, being brave mm-hmm. to, to do that. And it really does take a certain amount of bravery to even approach this uh, topic of introspection. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, so to make that distinction practically, um, in, in the previous episode we talked about a willingness to develop as a person so that that is a a, a, a concept of, of willingness and now today we talk about a practice of introspection how do how do you look at yourself and examine and explore and so there is a little bit of a difference there but a lot of it will also sound very yeah. similar today yeah. as well so Greg let's first start off with that ancient great Greek wisdom of know thyself I, I didn't reference my Greek philosophers this morning, so I can't remember if it's Socrates or Plato, who knows, it still exists. Uh, One of, I think, the hardest things I've found as an adult is to really learn who I am. I'm I'm constantly surprised at how much I don't know about myself, why I do what I do, why I say what I say. It, It feels like a vast wasteland of exploration that needs to be done. I think thus why that wisdom has, has lasted millennia of one of the callings for us as people is to know ourselves. Mm. So talk with us a little bit about, as you kind of wade into that, Greg, what are some of the first reactions you have of even exploring who you are, of looking deep inside to figure out what's going on with you? What are some of the first reactions you have? Well, like I said, I think um, fear, I think most of us have fear when you talk about that because when you look in there, you know, there's, you're going to see things that are, you know, not rosy. Mm. Like you might have a lot of great attributes, Mm -hmm. but you know, all of us know we have junk in the box, you know? Um, you know, I, I, you know, it makes me think of one colleague we were working with one time and they said, 
I'm afraid if mm-hmm. I crack that box open, I won't be able to get it back in. Yeah. You know, just the fear of kind of digging out mm-hmm. the junk because we, you know, many of us have had just trauma and heartache in our lives mm-hmm. and, and just junk, you know, and so it's easier just to stuff that down and move on yeah. rather than and realize, no, it's healthy to look at that. Mm-hmm. Not that you necessarily had to be re-traumatized, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just see things in a real way for yeah. what, what is driving you? Because, yeah. you know, our whole impetus is to change for the better. Mm-hmm. And so you can't change for the better if you don't know what's driving you maybe. Totally. Yeah. And, and again, in, all this is being done in a, co- a context of work. And so we're thinking about how do we get better results? How do we have a uh, great, better synergy on the team? And so one of the ways to do that is to really explore yourself to figure out what, you know, what's going on with me? Why, why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why do I think the way I think? And for us to have understanding of one another in that respect. But Greg, I think we we sound like a broken record, but it keeps taking me back to honoring that each of us probably hear this conversation even already in two different extremes. The the first extreme is it was people who come at it, probably a very optimistic uh, stance of like, well, when I look at myself, it's pretty great. Like it's it's that self-inflated, mm-hmm. over overly positive, overly uh, maybe permissive um, viewpoint of, of oneself. And so when you say, I'm going to look in the box and it's scary, they're like, I, I, that's not my experience, Greg, which yeah, is yeah. fine. Yeah. So that, I, I probably, again, I've, I've confessed so many times I tend to be on that angle. And then there's the other side of our friends who are on that more self-deprecating, more pessimistic. Oh my gosh, if I you know, explore who I am, it is going to be the worst experience ever. And so I just want to honor that for each of us coming into this, this practice of introspection, we could bring in those, those opposing or those polar opposite um, feelings and perspectives, even as we start. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be on both of those extremes. I, I right. mean, I, I talked to someone in recent history who basically, and I said, like, I want to know your brokenness. And they're saying like, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't have any, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so you know, I don't, I don't believe that. I think yeah. so. There's somewhere in the denial in between mm. these two extremes mm-hmm. in denial. You mm-hmm. know, just maybe not even denial, but just uh, not clearly being able to see themselves. You know, and I think right. that, and I think we all, as I'm saying that, I'm convicted in that. I think we all are that way in some, to some extent. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, you had just recently came to some revelation about your yourself, and you've been looking. Mm-hmm. At yourself, you've been the boxes wide open, emptied yeah. out upside down, yeah, and there's still junk falling out, right? You know? Right. And so I think we we are all that way in some mm-hmm. s- to, to some extent. Yeah, I agree. And so again, just just kind of we want to tether and anchor to the, the 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 business case of all of this is is that we are doing this for the purpose of uh, better results, more effective interactions, etc. And so you know we we borrow even some phrasing from our friends in the systems theory world to say that everything makes sense. And in its context. And so one of the things as leaders we're trying to do is understand the context, like what is going on with myself first, but then also this will carry over into our teams, like making sense of behavior, making sense of patterns, etc. cetera. Uh, and we do that through the practice of introspection. And so um, this type of leadership behavior really does require thoughtful purposeful action. You know, nobody I know, Greg, just falls into introspection. (laughs) Like you have to really, you know, set aside time to ask the questions of, you know, why am I the way I am? Why why do I do the things I do? Um, How do I see the world and why? Um, And what makes this make sense in any particular given um, scenario? And so we're, we're prescribing today that those leaders who are most effective have, are developing this process, this practice of 
regularly looking at oneself, looking internally at your process, your mental uh, cognitions, your emotional bodily reactions, and that that when you do that, you become a better leader. You become a better leader of half people, as we said in the last episode. What triggered for you there, Greg? I was just thinking about positional authority Mm -hmm. and how you know, this is kind of the opposite of that. If you're doing this well, you're not going to use positional authority to Mm -hmm. manage people and get things done. And not that there's not ever a time to just say like, let's, let's just do it because I want to do it that way, you know, but we don't have time to, to go into all that. But I think when you're doing this good self work, then you're going to lead others in that same way. You're not going to just, you know, do it because I'm your boss type mm-hmm, of type mm-hmm. of attitude. You're going to be much more empathic and understanding and realizing we're all in it together. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, well, so what we want to do today, Greg, is, is you know, starting with that Greek philosophy of know thyself. That's a that's a tall order. Uh, it's a very difficult thing. And so, you know, naturally, I think you might go, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I even get started? It feels, you know, like a, a, a black room and I'm not even sure where to turn. And so I want you to grab a pencil or a pen, grab a note on your phone. Um, Greg and I are just going to throw out some questions that, that both of us are working through, even as we speak, uh, that when we were preparing for this podcast, we, we just started to stumble on some of these questions and it brought up such rich understanding. It really led us into our own process of discovery. And so the first set of questions, Greg, we would label maybe as explore your family of origin. So how do I know who I am? How do I know myself? And so the first category is going to be explore your family of origin or a fancy word is the social milieu. I think is how you say that with my French accent. Yeah. (laughs) The social milieu. So, you know, the, the, the water you grew up in, so to speak. So Greg, you know, this is, there's a lot here, and we'll give you some specific questions to listeners. So, But as we think about our family of origin, how does that inform who you are today, Greg? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah, it, yeah. when I was looking at this, I was thinking about the nature versus nurture. Mm. And I, I don't, you know, we're talking about work. We're talking about leaders. I don't believe leaders are born. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, they're made, you know, and you can be a self-made leader, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, not that you don't, some people are better genetically disposed maybe mm-hmm. to that or their family of origin mm-hmm. predisposed them to be a better leader. And I think that's, that's what you have to tease out because mm-hmm. again, there's good and bad in that. And so, yeah, for me, I just think about how do you, how is it my family of origin or is it, am I just, is it something genetic or is mm-hmm. it, uh, but you know, I think it's really hard to tease that out. But it so. Is. But it is easy sometimes to know, um, you know, that dynamics, especially in a, I think for me, it's easier to see the negative dynamics than Mm -hmm. the positive. Mm -hmm. Your families of origin also probably had some really positive dynamics that translate into good work etiquette Mm -hmm. and good management style. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so that's what what I was thinking of, just nature versus nurture, which is not that relevant necessarily in this context but i think it is greg i mean I think that that you know we really start to draw on all the foundations of what we're saying of, of you know child psychology of developmental theory like i mean there is all that comes into the room when you really want to think about the the academic references to all of this and so when we think about our family of origin i, I would just say for me greg this is this is the pl- the most rich place of understanding of who I am today. When I really look backwards and as an adult now, you know, look back 20, 30 years and go, okay, wow, let me examine my family and, and try to understand better 
what was going on. And I would just say that when when we've mm-hmm. when I've done that, especially with other leaders like you, Greg, or other colleagues, mm-hmm. and I hear some of the stories from your childhood or teenage years or what your family was like. I mean, every time this massive light bulb goes off for me and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense, you know, of your struggles, of your of your strength. I'm like, gosh, you know, I think for me, one of the things I've we always seem to talk about time, which I hate. I don't want to be labeled just for time. But (laughs) and I think when I was able to share with some colleagues that, you know, for my family of origin, I grew up with my dad who uh, was retired Air Force, served in the National Guard of Air Force. And like for him, time, he, he always taught me like five minutes early is on time. On time is late and late is unthinkable. You know, so that's that's the milieu I grew up in was like you just I just knew to be 10 minutes early everywhere that was preached and emphasized and rewarded in my family of origin. So it makes more sense when people hear that of like, oh, that's why that matters to you, Chris. And also that some of my job, most of my jobs prior to the center were heavily time influenced. I taught school. And so you can't just run amok with a classroom and just not pay attention to the time. There are certain times where there are transitions. I got 30 kids coming in at nine o'clock. I got to be ready for that. Um, I worked fast food, which was very much a hyper time focused thing. So it's like when I really start to draw back and understand those lived experiences, it makes me know myself more. And then I share that with others and they can understand me mm-hmm. more as well. So our, our family of origin, our experiences growing up radically shape who we are. What what come up for you, Greg? Yeah, I, th- I think that's so true. I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think that probably is the most useful mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, easiest piece to kind of tease out and, and figure out where things went wrong or, or where mm-hmm. they went right, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah. I so let me give you just a, a few practical questions. Again, write these down. Um, take some time. You know, the actual art of in- introspection would be to to take five, ten minutes, thirty minutes, um, just away from your desk and just really think through some of this. Explore what comes up for you. So when you're thinking about your family, think about what were your family's norms that might be very different from other people's family norms. That's one of the fun things too, Greg. I'm realizing it that what I thought was normal wasn't, isn't universally normal for the way, um, you know, people lived in, 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 um, just the rhythm of life that what their houses looked like, what, you know, the amount of money they did or didn't have. It's like understanding what, what was normal in my family and how is that different than my colleagues or the people I'm serving? Uh, because likely it's very different, uh, than the way, um, other people grew up. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that struck me just in this conversation already, Chris, is how, um, you know, in the last cast, I talked about knowing the context. And mm-hmm. and I, I think in this, just like with your time example, that sometimes it's it's important and time is important. Mm-hmm. Like you said, depending on what you're doing, you know, if you're mm-hmm. launching the space shuttle, time's right. very Im- yeah. important. But sometimes if you're teaching a class in Miami, if someone comes in yeah. 10, 15 minutes late, maybe it's, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, maybe for us mm-hmm. it was. But, and yeah, so it, it just makes me think how it's almost a higher level like this introspection in this way is then you have to navigate, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, my dad taught me above all else be on time. Mm -hmm. And, but then I have to think for myself, is that always true? Sure. How do I navigate? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, is that too extreme? Is it not where, Mm -hmm. where do I fall in? And then, so that's just one little thing. So then you just pile that on with Mm -hmm. everything that makes you successful in work and life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to navigate. But so I think, 
you you know you have to find where you're at where is the good spot for you in in these things yeah yeah i love that greg because i just got the imagery of like panning for gold like being in colorado in the mountains and like i've never done this but i've watched videos and then they're just digging up in the dirt and like they're having to sift through the rock and the rubble and the debris uh, and it's painstaking work and eventually they find you know some tiny nugget of gold and then they you know separate that out from the debris and, and what i hear you saying is like as we're doing this work of introspection we 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 find those things that were true for us and we we get a, we have the agency to to feel like if we're going to continue doing that or not we get to right. decide you know what we do with these norms now Another question to ask and write this one down is, is what messages did I internalize in my upbringing? Well, that, that's a you day's work. You're trying to make me cry. I know, right? That's a day's work. So as we think about growing up, what messages were, were implicit or explicitly given to us that somehow got hardwired into uh, our DNA? And Greg, you and I were talking about this of just how you know some families were were very encouraging very supportive of mm, yeah. of their children and it feels it seems like those kids go on to do great things because they've been told all their life you're great you can do anything right. you want right. and then we have uh, lived experiences where our families didn't do that they were actually the opposite they were constantly tearing us down telling us we were good for nothing uh, we see that a lot in our clients and and that does something to people that that makes things make sense when yeah. you come from that and you have to deal with either one of those messaging. So does that bring up anything for yeah, you? Well, I, I, my question to you is, if you were on either one of those, mm-hmm. it, would that matter? Would that have any bearing at work? Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think the, the the underlying kind of pull back the curtain philosophy for me is that I'm bringing all this into work. And it's oftentimes, I would say often, if not a majority, hidden yeah. Hidden from me, yeah. hidden from you. Um, and so, yeah, it shows up in when I make a mistake. Uh, do I hear that reinforcing message from my childhood of um, I'm a screw up, I'm yeah. a mistake? Uh, or I would just say from my upbringing, my family was very supportive, very encouraging and almost too permissive. And so my struggle can often be that when I make a mistake, it's hard for me to admit it. It's hard for me to own it. And it's and I, and I want to just blow past it and be like, it's not a big deal because literally in my family of origin, I can't remember ever getting into big trouble over a mistake. It was just, well, that's okay, Chris, we'll keep going. You know, never. And so it's like, that's my lived experience and it it shows up at work and it can be helpful sometimes to be merciful, but it also can, has gotten me in trouble to not take serious enough yeah. mistakes or yeah. in, interactions that I've had. So yeah, I think it, it shows up every day in, in very hidden ways. Yeah, and I, I think this supports our one life philosophy where, mm-hmm. you, you know, you are who you are at home and at work. You can't separate those things out right. and, and we get pushback about that but you know, this is you know we're talking about things it, it, it your family of origin affects you at work yeah. also yeah and if you don't believe that then that's a you're in the wrong headspace yeah and i would say if you don't believe that then you're then i'm unaware of how i'm interacting in the world right, it, right. in some way not not completely oblivious but then again we bring it back to the heart and soul of everything we're doing in this podcast then i'm not as effective as a leader, as a worker, as I could be if I understood myself and was able to translate that for others to make it make sense. Yeah, I would just say this, Chris, maybe in a totally positive sense. Someone might just be a super high achiever. They're just driven because of their family of origin. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, and they burn out or Mm -hmm. they they have to go and do the next big greatest thing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, and, you know, and we applaud those kind of people in the workplace. Uh, but that can be just as much driven by your family of origin Certainly. or brokenness yeah. or 
as, as the, the converse. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so on, on that, you know, what messages did, did I internalize in my upbringing? So that's going to come into the workspace of when there are wrongs done or maybe there's a slight between you and another employee or contractor or volunteer, and it's like it, understanding why that matters. Why did that trigger you? Why did you have a reaction to that is, is important. A third question, Greg, we pose is what role did I play in my family? So what role did I play in my family? And again, you and I have talked about like I was the firstborn uh, of a younger sister who's two years younger than I. And, um, you know, I don't, no one ever told me, Chris, you're the golden child. But I internalized that. And that's the role that I played for nearly 21 years of like the, the one who could do things right, who came through in a pinch, dependable, responsible, godly. Like all those things were the the, the banner that, that I flew and, and was rewarded with. And like in a lot of ways, that was good. In a lot of ways, I've had to unpeel some of that and go, man, you know, how did that also harm me? How did that also not set me up well? And again, I kind of referenced like I think the humility part, the ability to take ownership, the defensiveness yeah. that comes up for me. So yeah. what the role we played in our family just shows up in different ways in hidden ways, maybe of how we interact within a team or within an organization. So yeah. thoughts from you on that, Greg, does that, that trigger anything for you? No, I was just, when you were giving that example, I was thinking of the last cast where we talked about we're all half people. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so maybe even someone who's hugely successful, you know, that that's going because they're interacting with others. It's mm-hmm. going others are going to feel that in some way if they have no humility, if they don't realize they, too, are broken, mm-hmm. or, you know, you know um, to have a well-rounded, uh, you know, personality and sense of self, you're going to. You got to have some perspective on that. Yeah, and the thing that maybe we need to say explicitly here is that, in, in with that radical ownership that we're talking about, in this process of introspection, is not just to identify it, but to change it. And so, I'm not stuck in my family role, right? right. And so, you're not stuck in the role that you played within your family. You don't then have to adopt it naturally in this organization or wherever, what team you're in. You don't have to play that role anymore if you don't want to, and if that's not the most effective. A fourth question, uh, what did my family allow or celebrate? And again, this is just a, just a digging up question. What did my family, what did they really celebrate and what did they say was okay and endorse? And then on the opposite as well as what did my family oppose or demonize? What did they say was wretched and unacceptable? And, you know, and that just helps make sense of your morality, but not, not even so much a morality as much as like understanding of how the world works. So that brought up something for you, Greg. Yeah, I was just thinking about how my family of origin would al- could almost celebrate dishonesty at times, mm. as as um, you know, as cunning mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, think about bringing that into the workplace. Mm-hmm. What what a negative that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate your your sharing, Greg. I was thinking about this episode and just realized it's rich with opportunity for us to share. And I think it's the most serving thing we can do for our audience. I was I was thinking in this about what our families allow and our norms. I, I was thinking about as a boy, I still can vividly remember going to holidays at my grandfather Ramsey. We called him Grandpa Ramsey, which that's a norm I'm realizing is weird. Like people don't have don't usually call their grandparents by that in their last name, but growing up it was Grandpa Ramsey. That's what I knew him as. And we would be in his little house and my extended family was there and there was this dance that happened that I'm now as an adult looking back on and I laugh, but it was just so normal was after the dinner was done, Thanksgiving or Christmas, the the, the ladies in our family had made 99% of the meal. Um, a few of the men would do this thing every time. They would they would go uh, they would see one of the ladies in the um, in the kitchen starting to clean the dishes, and one of the men would pipe up and go, "Oh, so and so, don't don't worry about that. We'll us us guys will get that later." And the lady would typically respond, "Okay." 
and like five minutes would go by and 10 minutes would go by and no man would typically get up to wash any dishes. But it was this kind of pandering to, I, I recognize that we probably should do something here and I'm going to say it, but very often it didn't actually materialize. And it was this, even as a kid, I can remember going, this is the dance. This is the the routine that we do. And that became part of our social norm. And, you know, nobody ever said, well, get your butt up and do it. You know, like yeah. that I can remember as a kid, but it was just interesting of like, even as a child, watching that nuance and that malu happen of like this is just how we interact it's okay to you know to say you're going to do it but not really do it and there's no consequence and yeah. it's just kind of accepted you know again more that uh, permissiveness of my family i think so yeah so what did your family allow what did they celebrate what did they oppose or demonize and as we look at that we're seeing that our families helped us learn how to make sense of the world how to survive it, um, and some of these lessons and patterns are helpful and effective, and others, as we begin to examine ourselves, are not. They're not as helpful as maybe uh, we thought they were, and as adults, we now have a choice uh, of how we want to interact in the world, how we want to engage coworkers and leaders and clients, etc. and we get to choose. And the only way to know that is if you go through this process of really examining oneself to understand that, Greg. So definitely family of origin is a huge, we could do five or six more episodes on that, but I think we've given about five really good questions to ask uh, that I encourage our listeners to do. Well, not only family of origin, Greg, but also another thing we bring into the workplace is our previous work experiences. So we have to make sense of, we have, for a lot of folks, worked other places before here, and that has shaped what we think work should look like, right? Yeah. So share with us, uh, you know, what's a story from your um, work history, Greg, that that helps make sense of, of how you view work coming into the center? Uh, well, I mean, for me personally, I was always just a lone player. Mm. And, and But that that ties to also to my family yeah, origin yeah. and my personality. Like, I was not a team sports kind of person. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stand on my own two feet, you yeah. know, and did individual stuff. And even, I, it was funny was, I was talking to uh, somebody this last week about wait staff. Yeah. And they were saying, like, yeah, I used to be a, a waitress, and we shared tips, and we because we were talking about tips. And I was like, I would never do that. <laughs> I would so never share tips. Yes. I, w- I want to stand on my own merit, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so so that's, yeah, that's the way I was. Yes. Um, yeah, and so coming into work, um, you know, the, the whole team concept and mm-hmm. helping each other and all that was, mm-hmm. you know, I, br- I brought in that kind of lone wolf McQuaid. Um, yeah, you know, mentality. Makes so, so much sense. Yeah, because even, even now, almost, you know, nearly 20 years in, Greg, you, I can still see from knowing you well and being friends, like that's still somewhere is deeply in there. It's, it's still mm-hmm. like that still comes up from time to time. And it's one of those things that I know you have to deal with to, you know, am I, do I do that or do I acquiesce here and, and play ball with others? You know, it's like, it's going to be a constant yeah. kind of thing because of, I would argue, DNA, hardwiring experience. Right. And I would, I would also say it has, it served me well, yep. which most of these family of origin things yep. were served us well or served your family well. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe your context is different and you don't need that any longer. It doesn't mm-hmm. serve you as well as it mm-hmm. did. So I think that's also hard because deep in me is that, like that um, American spirit, that rugged mm-hmm. individualism. Mm-hmm. Like I feel that very much, yeah. and I and I believe in that. Yeah. And so then, how do you temper that with team, with being transparent mm-hmm. and being empathic with other people? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So all all that is going on. Yes. You know, with me. Yeah. 
So true. So, so listeners, I encourage you think about your work experiences and, and just even jot down some notes of like, what were the bosses you worked for uh, previously to the center? What were they like? You know, what were the good aspects? What were the things you're like, ah, oh, cringeworthy aspects of like, oh, I'd never want to have that happen again. You know, what style of work did you do? Because I think that influences us coming in. I, I referenced for me, you know, before arriving at the agency, I uh, had worked fast food when I was a teenager. Uh, I had done professional ministry, which shapes how I, I view work. I'd been a teacher. Uh, you know, I'd worked in a warehouse at Walmart. Like all those experiences shape what I think about work, how I expect my supervisor, you know, the organization to treat me. And again, some of those are, are really good. I hold on to them dearly. And others are like, okay, this work can be different. But if we don't take the time to think about it and explore what our experiences are, it can often um, come at us maybe in, in harmful ways or unexpected ways. Yeah. So, and I would like to say here, we welcome that experience mm-hmm. because that the diversity and richness of experience mm-hmm. makes us better. And yeah. so it's not like, hey, we've got this figured out. You did whatever you did in the past, just forget that. Certainly. It's like we didn't bring that to the table. Certainly. Yeah, that's a good good um, piece of advice, Greg. So how how can I figure out you know who I am? How do I know myself? Well, family of origin questions work experience questions. And the last uh, prescription we have for folks, Greg, is using some helpful tools. And, and there are a myriad of options here. I'll, I'll throw out a few that at the agency we have used and I've, I've personally uh, benefited from. Um, there are personality tests like Myers-Briggs. These are just great tools to help you uh, kind of learn a little bit, kind of maybe open the door to understanding yourself and giving you some camaraderie with other people. So like Myers-Briggs, uh, there's the Enneagram that helps understand personality and motivation. Uh, there's a book called Strength Finders. It's another great um, set of diagnostic tools to help you answer some questions. And then it gives you some results that um, you can then go find other people who are like, oh, me too. You know, if you're an Enneagram person, you're like, oh, I'm a three wing too. And you say that and people are like, oh, me too. And it's it just kind of gives you this feeling of like, as I'm learning myself, I'm not alone. It is for me to do, but there are enough similarities that I can find some camaraderie and healing in talking with what's going on with other people. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think it it normalizes whatever yeah. is going on with you, wherever mm-hmm. you're at. Mm-hmm. You you know you're you realize oh this is normal in mm-hmm. the sense of like there there's a large number of people that are similar. Yes, you know? yes. Because sometimes we really feel like we're messed. We're the only one. Right, you know? right. Again, yeah, I think that's so helpful, Greg. It's so kind to to give people that of like yeah, it gives you some shared language. It, it you know somebody can look across the table and say hey, me too, Greg. You're not the only one who mm-hmm. you know is there, and so you can have that sense of understanding and and acceptance and really um, that that community that can come from being known. And so, Greg, we talked about, you know, the old Greek philosophy of know thyself. Well, then how do we do that? We've given some questions you can ask about family of origin, work experience, and some tools that are out there uh, that you can use. And so now we'll, we'll finish with all right, Greg. So I want to I want to do this introspection thing. I want to you know be the kind of leader who practices this, is able to do it. So where do I get started, or how do I go further than I am today? And we're going to keep bringing in this framework of of thought, word, and action, the TWA. So we're we're going to examine each of those as buckets and say, okay, if you want to grow in introspection, you want to start introspection, then here is what you could do in these three arenas. So within the thinking arena, uh, what we want to say is you can consider, uh, take time to really consider your family of origin, your work experience. We just gave you a a handful of questions that you could really stop and take 30 minutes and and maybe journal or write some notes and say, man, when I really uh, stop and think about it, I'm discovering things about myself that I didn't even know 
were there. Um, I'll say for me, Greg, that's something that's been a little bit even scary for me as an adult. Like I have realized in the past five or six years that I have an undercurrent of anxiety that I didn't know was there when I was a kid or mm-hmm. as, an, as an, a teenager. And, I, and I'm still trying to figure out what that's about. I think a lot of it's built on performance-based acceptance. I think a lot of it's based on a, my wife said the other day, Chris, I think you have a unnaturally high guilt meter. And I was like, I think I do too. <laughs> you know, just this mm-hmm. feeling of responsibility for more than really I should and, and guilt over things that I should not feel guilty about. And so, you know, really for me, helping make sense of that, it's been like, okay, let me stop and think and pray about that and, and talk to other people. So really taking time to think about it, um, ponder how you, how you are. And, you know, when you were younger and when you were a teenager or a young adult and, and ask the questions of why, why, why did you act the way you did? When, you know, what was going on? If you can look back at your younger self and maybe, um, diagnose what was happening, what, what would you say uh, about that? And then Greg, one of the things we really kind of stumbled on you and I is that there is this mind-body connection right. that when we have thoughts, our body is divinely you know, designed to trigger and let us know, hey, something's up here. Yep. Um, and so noticing your emotions and body. So what what, did you, what have you experienced with that? Or what, what are your thoughts on that, Greg? Yeah, my, my thoughts are uh, in the big picture, trust your gut. Mm. Because I think that's generally what we think of and what we say. When really your gut, you're having that gut feeling because you're synthesizing a lot of different cues mm. and and you're coming to a conclusion whatever your gut's telling you like i need to do this differently or that didn't go over well or this is not safe mm. like it's based on actual real information that mm. you're not even aware that you're you're taking in yeah and so i would i would say that i'd say trust your gut um yeah and then yeah, I don't. Know. I lost my thought. You had to yeah. jump in there. I'm right? with you. Yeah, trust your. So your your body is telling you something, right? So your, those thoughts are are being um, are processing, and your body's hardwired in to to have you know the connection with it. And so uh, your body is indicating things yeah. to you. I love your right. your phrasing. Trust your gut. Yeah. Then what I missed, what I lost there was you've heard me say this for years. Is I think of it like radar. Like if you mm-hmm. if you like. If you can imagine radar where there's planes on a radar. I think things you things will hit your radar, mm-hmm. and you will, and we're just oblivious to that because you're taking in all this information. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's due to our brokenness. We don't want to acknowledge that something's mm-hmm. on our radar. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons. But I think what you can do, and you tell me if you think this is true, because mm-hmm. I really think this is true. I think you can turn up the sensitivity on your radar. Mm-hmm. I think you can become more aware. And you know we're tying this. This is what my body's saying, what my feelings are saying. What how I haven't I'm having an emotional reaction. I can I can become more aware. They say like what? Wait, I feel something happening in my mm-hmm. body. What's going on mm-hmm. with me? Yeah. And so I think you can fine tune your radar to where you're more aware of these things and you're able to handle them and adjust and recognize them. And so it's just a good thing. I think. I agree, Greg. And, and as you're saying that, I was even thinking about just how. Um, how hard this is. I actually had an experience recently where I went to go um, buy um, a used pop-up camper uh, and I'd driven a long way to, to go take a look at this uh, camper. And um, when I got there, Greg, I haven't even told you this, but like when I got there and, and um, was trying to decide whether to buy it or not, I had what I can only explain is like a panic attack, like an anxiety attack. Like my body felt like it was closing in on me. I couldn't think straight. Like my mouth went dry and I called my wife and I was like, I don't know what is happening to me right now. Like we're, we're, we're on the phone trying to decide whether to buy it or not. She's like, well, do you think it's a bad deal? I was like, no, nothing cognitively makes sense about this. Like, 
and I, and I just, I was like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Like literally, I mean, I'm in, this was not an expensive camper. It wasn't like a life or death decision. And so she's like, okay, she was really steady for me in that moment. It's like, Chris, I think we should buy it. It's a good deal. Nothing wrong with it. We can see. So, you know, I just was trusting her and said, okay, I'm going to go, we're going to buy it. Well, after purchasing it and pulling away, like I, the the emotions kind of settled down, and my body still was charged. Greg. I mean, it's like I felt like I had run five miles. Um, in a, an hour or two later, after thinking, like I was able to pull back and go, "Oh my gosh, I think here's what was happening with me." Mm. I was able to go to tell to my wife, and this is where that that community comes in. I said, "I think what was happening with me is when I get into situations that I don't feel confident or like I know what to do." it freaks me out. And then I especially feel like if I can get taken advantage of or abused in a way that like, I don't even know I'm getting taken advantage of like that somehow, like my body just freaks out over that. And And yeah, yeah. And I said, I think that's what was going on with me, but man, like the visceral feeling I had, you know, sitting in that guy's driveway trying to figure out, should I buy this thing or not? I was like, I I literally did. I said, I'm gonna feel like I'm gonna throw up. And so for me, this introspection is, is, is a lived experience within the past few days of like, it took me a while to pull out and go, what was going on? Like, right. what the heck was happening? And I couldn't make, I literally could not make sense of it in the moment, Greg. Yeah. I literally had no words. I was like, everything in me just wanted to literally run, like run far, far away and just hide is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, so let me take that and bring it back to work. Context. Yeah, go with it. So uh, an example would be, you're having you're kind of butting heads with somebody. Mm-hmm. You you feel yourself get emotional mm-hmm. about it. Like how many times has this happened? You know, and and it's not right for the context of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You just feel them. Mm-hmm. You don't know why. It just makes you mad or it mm-hmm. upsets you or what. You know, it, and if you learn to recognize that instead of just reacting mm-hmm. and saying something you're going to regret, you know, I have learned to say, you know what that. I, I want to talk more about that, but can we do that another day? Yeah. And I have learned to let the, or, or even if you don't say that, if you just don't address it mm. and then you, but it, you want to address it, you come back after the emotion has passed, mm-hmm. it's going to be a completely different it, conversation. It yeah. uh, and you might be able to tease out what was going on with me. Mm. Uh, the, why was I feeling emotional about it? And you'll be able to talk about that. Mm-hmm. To, to the person, to the other person, and be able to have it be constructive and and, and work things out yes. rather than you. Because if you, I have found when I'm reacting out of emotion, it mm-hmm. doesn't go well. Yes. And yeah. so I think a real life skill is when you feel that, if you can recognize it, it's mm-hmm. on your radar and go mm-hmm. like, wow, I, that hacks me off or I'm feeling emotional mm-hmm. about that. That upsets me or I don't know what's going on. Then just to just know, like, okay, when it's in that quadrant of my radar, mm-hmm. I'm going to wait. Right. I'm not going to jump out there and tell Chris off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and use words that I'm going to regret. Yes. I'm going to wait and come back and say, like, Chris, like when we were talking about that, it felt so emotional, and I think it's because of this. Yeah. And, and so well, let's talk about it. you know, mm-hmm. and we've done that a yeah. number of times. Yeah. And so that's just so that's that same kind of mm-hmm. scenario mm-hmm. in a work setting, and I was able to identify, it, trust my gut, use it, yeah. and and have, um, and you know, and have something to do with it. So I know, yeah. like, okay, if that happens, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to put on the brakes mm-hmm. and put on pause. Yeah, and it, you know, and if it's to go back to like the camper scenario, mm-hmm. I have learned for me when mm-hmm. that happens is that I've learned there's always 
a, a better buy down the road. Yeah. Like yeah. if it doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. I don't force it. Right. I'm not saying what you did. Yeah, no, totally. That was good for you. But like yeah. for me, like, you know, mm-hmm. so, so I learned how to have like coping mechanisms, yep. mm-hmm. for, you know, for, I, you could call that a lot of different things. Yeah. But in work, what, you know, how many times have people, you know, been yelling at each other at work where sure. if one of them would have just stopped and said, mm-hmm. wow, let's let's talk about that when it's not feeling emotional. Yeah, I love that. And, and it brings me a phrase to mind, Greg, that I, I really hold, you know, cling to is, is the idea that when the leader is safe, everyone else in the room mm. is safe. And yeah. so you're I love. Thank you for that example, because it's like. Yeah, as a leader, we can find ourselves, you know, triggered by all kinds of things, you know, employees' attitude, employees' behavior, lack of performance. And so when we can have safety in ourselves and know, okay, I'm stable, I'm settled, I'm not, you know, operating from a reactionary standpoint, then literally everyone else in the room is safer. And we all know we have examples either from our own history or watching it happen to others. Like when a leader isn't safe and when they are reacting, when they are just blowing up and acting out of their own insecurities or or wounds, it is not going to go well. Like it it is just going to be ugly and there's going to be damage. And so, you know, for us, introspection is deeply important because of that. We have to understand ourselves and our reactions and our thoughts so that we can provide safety to our staff. Yes. And I love that, that it's, you're talking about from a supervisor's position. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you just, just think about that. Uh, if you have the courage because of your positional authority, a lot of times you can say whatever you want. Right. They don't have the positional authority to push back. Mm-hmm. They have to take it or yeah. they don't tell, they don't yeah. say what's really on their mind. And you could misuse your positional authority. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's a higher level of thinking to say, let me stop and go back and address that when it's not feeling uh, like the feeling doesn't match what's going on. Right. Like I feel something emotional in me. Yes. So even though you had the positional authority to say maybe Mm -hmm. something that, you know, that's, that's not good. Right. And nobody, and nothing will ever come of it because you're the boss. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I think that's a real word of caution for people Mm -hmm. who are supervising. Yeah. That's good. Yes, yeah, so we're talking about how do we how do we grow our capacity at introspection. We're on the T of the TWA, so the thinking part. Last piece I want to just throw out there for this one, Greg, is really you know our thinking in introspection. Like take time to meditate on who you are and who you want to be. I really want to pr- provide that future hopeful perspective because introspection is not just about digging up the old past and, and understanding the wounds and the harm, but it's also about who do I want to be? Who do I want to be remembered as? Uh, when I was teaching uh, junior high, I had above my whiteboard, I had uh, the phrase, um, what will men write about you after you're gone? You know, it was just a constant you know, reminder of like, we get to choose who we want to be. And so part of introspection is really digging deep to figure that out and to, to name those goals and those um, characteristics that we want to be known for. So that's the T in the TWA. So the W is words. So we're thinking about, you know, as you're practicing introspection, what would I hear you saying that would be helpful to, to know where you are in that process? And, and Greg, you know, our trusted mentor, Dr. Eddie Parrish, has really helped me in, in so many aspects. And one of the things that I've watched him do and that I have borrowed from him is a lot of times when he has something hard to say or that maybe contradictory to the room is he'll start with a phrase that that sounds like, you know, for me, 
here's where I stand. Or for me, I'm thinking this. And that was revolutionary for me because, again, my family of origin was super um, compatible, super much like conflict never really happened. And it was rude if you did bring up an alternative thought or mm. if you said something you know critical about someone that was seen as rude. And so I lost a lot of courage growing up and then thinking, like, mm. you know, I needed to conform to the, the norm of what was happening. And so this phrasing for me has helped me discover who I am and speak more clearly in a situation when it feels very triggered and emotional, like, oh gosh, I don't, I need to be quiet because that's what I should play the good boy here. And so this phrasing, even to say, hey, you know, Greg, for me, like, I, I don't, I don't agree or whatever that's been helpful in, in my words. I think that's really brave because I think implicit in that is I I can only control myself. Yeah, yeah. And you're responsible for yourself. And mm-hmm. so if you know it's not going to go over well, yeah. then you're willing to take that mm-hmm. and just say, like, that's your stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just saying for me, I'm yeah. controlling myself. So yeah. there's a lot in that little phrase mm-hmm. I'm saying for me, especially when mm-hmm. you're talking about your family milieu. Yeah, exactly. Milieu, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's a, a handful of other phrases. So just, you know, if you have one, share those with us, you know, comment on our, our SoundCloud if you've got things you are thinking. But, you know, definitely grab word and phrasing. Also, I encourage you guys in your words uh, to share these insights and observations with others. As I just, Greg and I have been doing throughout this episode, it's just like putting words to these realizations as you look deeply inside and going, man, Greg, I'm just realizing about me that this is happening. You know, in this experience most recently, it's like, God, that happened, and I, you know, thought about it, and here's what I think's happening. And then you, as a kind and trusted advisor, could say, "Yeah, Chris, I, I see that. I, you know, I, I've experienced that from you too. And man, that's got to be hard. And you know, there's just deep acceptance and, and care uh, in that. And again, something we've said all along is is ask for feedback. You know, use your words to say, "Hey, I'm I'm trying to figure out me and what's what's going on with me. Would you mind helping me paint that picture? You know, when I do something, would you help me notice it and maybe make sense of of what was going on? Because so often I'm unaware of, of how my actions and words impact others. I'm just trying to do the best I can. And so I'm unaware. Would you help me, uh, you know, gain some insight into who I am? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you can ask uh, from, tr- you know, people you trust to really mm-hmm. speak truth into your life. And, uh, you know, that's very few people probably. You're lucky yeah. to have one of the, you know, as Brene Brown says, to have a hide the body friend. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be to that level, but right. people who you trust and respect and, uh, want to be like to, to some extent that mm-hmm. you would let them speak life into your life. You yeah. know? But I do think there's another uh, take on this in that you can ask people, it could be a complete stranger for that. Like if you see something, an interaction is off, you can stop and say like, hey, mm-hmm. like I, I, it just seemed like that didn't strike you well. Did it, you know, can you, mm-hmm. did I come off as rude or yeah. did I, yeah. like I, like, which is a whole other kind of level mm-hmm. of that. And just think about how many, usually when we get off t- tilt in work, you know, off kilter, it's because of some little insignificant mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, they just had a snarky attitude when they, uh, mm-hmm. or their email was really snippy. Like, right. what is their, instead of saying like, hey, like I think your email kind of struck me mm-hmm. like, like, have I offended you in some way or something? Right. Like, I, and that's, and Oh man, it builds trust yeah, you know, with yeah. both of you, and it speeds up work, as mm. we know. I, yeah, so. I love that, Greg. Because again, it kind of it harkens back, I think, a little bit to the conjecture from last episode of just saying, "Hey, like, I noticed this. Like, is this what's happening?" You know, right, and you're right, just right. offering a, a, an option. You know, and again, hopefully that that willingness to grow is there. It's like, oh. 
Yeah. So often for me, what happens, Greg, is like that conjecture happens. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. This actually happened at home this morning, Greg. I was uh, up before my wife, which is rare. She usually is out of the house way before me seeing clients. And um, she said to me this morning, she said, hey, Chris, like when I'm, you know, in the bed later than you are, would you please shut the bathroom door when you go into the restroom? Because it, it wakes me up as you're brushing your teeth and all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I didn't literally even realize that I was making noise as I went about my morning routine. Mm. Like I actually was trying to be quiet, but I, if she said that I literally kind of blanked for a minute. It was like, oh, that just happened 30 minutes ago, but I have zero recall of, of how loud I was or wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I was completely unaware about that. And so like, for me, I'm like, oh, let me look deep inside and go, okay, in those moments, like I want to take care of my wife. That's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be kind and, and thoughtful. And so because she gave me that feedback, I'm able to go, okay, next time I can do that different. Right. And this is the, this is the whole thing with work and introspection is I can right. examine it. And then next time I can do something different that is more effective. Yeah, I would say a really helpful piece of advice when I was talking about kind of going at things head on, like, mm-hmm. hey, your email, instead of saying, like, your email was crap, you right? Know? It's right. Like, like, take the one down position yeah, and say, yeah. like, hey, like, I, I don't know, I might have misread your email. I don't know if it was emotion in there, but mm. like, have I done something to offend you? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, if you notice, I did that when I was talking about that without mm-hmm. even realizing mm-hmm. because you form that habit. Right. And you know that, like, that's how you talk to me. You don't just, you don't say, like, what the H were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you say, like, hey, like, what? Help me understand this. Right, right. You know? Yes. And, and so even as a leader, that one down position will go a mm-hmm. long way when Agreed. you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. It's just a little extra effort that just reaps huge benefits mm-hmm. yeah. when it comes to communicating with people. Yeah, I agree. So all that, I mean, in, in this, uh, you know, the idea of words is, is, you know, we can control those. We get to choose our words and how we say things. And, you know, we've given you some just really practical things of, you know, hey, say for me, here's where it is. Greg's giving you great advice on, you know, using the wording of, of a one down position of a humbleness uh, of being curious about that. And the last section, Greg, for, you know, how do I get better at introspection? So we'll go to the action. So what can I actually do? What would someone say? see me doing, observe me doing, measure me doing. And you, you really hinted at this earlier, and I, this is something I'm actually literally on the cutting edge of practicing, and that is take a time out when you notice an emotional response to an interaction. So one of the things I've been doing is when if something triggers me and I notice a bodily reaction and I, I feel unsafe or like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening here. Uh, at work, I've started to go on a little walk. I'll just take a five-minute walk outside so that I can think, I can pray, I can, you know, ask myself these questions like, what is happening? You know, what was said that that, that tipped me off? Or does it have anything to do with the other person? Maybe it's just me, mm-hmm. and I don't want to react in an unsafe way. So let me just kind of calm myself down, get a little space. And so that's one of the things that I'm literally week to week now trying to practice because I don't want to be reactionary. I don't want to, you know, be an unsafe leader that makes it unsafe for everybody else in the room. So I'm physically removing myself, you know, after the interaction's over, not just bolting, but um, doing that. So, Greg, are there other thoughts for you of like actionable things that people can do to to practice and get better at knowing thyself, this introspection skill? I, I mean, I would just, you know, how I always am. I would say be direct and truthful. Um, and in, in, in that, be humble and invite others in. So I like the way you were saying, you know, basically you're a student, you're learning about yourself mm-hmm. and others, you mm-hmm. know, in this process. 
And so that's going to keep you humble and, and keep you asking questions and being curious mm-hmm. and, and try. And if people see, even if you commit a big faux pas, if they see your heart is in the right place, mm-hmm. look, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to navigate this. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt most of the time. Yeah. 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 And then two more practical takeaways to, to, to you can do this today. So, you know, you can take a time out if you feel that bodily reaction. Number two, you can you know schedule purposeful time to think, to journal, to exercise. Like I, I'm just surprised at how often I don't do this, Greg, like and how important and, and beneficial it is when I do. But like as a rhythm of life, I'm just not doing this, you know, like and, and this is something that would be so helpful. And I've prescribed it a hundred times to other leaders, like just set aside 15 minutes, 30 minutes in your schedule during the workday to kind of really examine yourself, to think, you know, to see, you know, how you're doing on your character, on your interactions, on your accomplishments and your results or your results there. That's part of introspection as well. So just really taking time and blocking it out to say, I want to stop and think about how I'm doing and who I am in a work context. And that would be time well spent for sure. Uh, and the last thing I think practically is, is, you know, you could actually take some of those per- personality tests, you know, go and if you haven't ever done the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or the Strength Finders, go, go grab, those are all available online or through books. You can actually do that and then share your results with other people. It's a great conversation starter and just another baby step in how you know yourself, which is what we're talking about here in the idea of introspection. So, Greg, what are the thoughts you have as we as we wind down today? I just finally, I would just say on words and actions that th- this is one of those areas where you can act as if mm-hmm. uh, and, and in a truthful way, not in a um, not in a deceptive way. But, you know, if you're wanting to change, you can purposefully say, OK, I'm going to. For instance, if I, I said I want to speak less, say, mm-hmm. like, OK, I'm going into this meeting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to really uh, choose my words wisely. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to just mm-hmm. always have an opinion like I always do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to listen and understand people mm-hmm. well. Like I'm going to act it. Maybe that's not natural to me. Sure. But I'm going to act as if it is. Like yeah. If someone came in there for the first time, they wouldn't know that that wasn't natural right. to me. Right. And so I think with maybe that's not a p- perfect example, but with words and with actions, those are two areas where I can kind of practice that. I can mm-hmm. act as as I can. You know, we can take our suggestions mm-hmm. and I can I can try it out. Yeah. Kind of yeah. risk free. That's right. Yeah. I love that. And, and and even to just put the the chocolate syrup on that ice cream is like and if you shared that with with someone going into that meeting, maybe it's mm-hmm. me. You say, hey, Chris, I'm going to take a risk today. I'm going to try something different. And like, oh, my gosh, it's like and then I can give you feedback afterwards. Like, Greg, I noticed like there was a huge difference today in the way you interacted. And, and for me, on the other side of you, like this is how it felt. You know, it's like yeah. there can be that community of growth, which I, I just love. And um, I think it's a great I love that phrasing. I act as if, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to arrive and, and then start. You can just practice, you know, and, yeah. and this is the the growth. This is the journey of growth and introspection. Yeah. 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 I think for me, Greg, the final thought was just um, with introspection, I just, as we were chatting, it, it dawned on me the, the felt sense of difference in leaders who do this well and who don't. Uh, I was just thinking about how safe and um, inspired I feel when a leader does this well, when they're vulnerable, when they just say, man, for me, here's where I'm at today. Or they have an interaction that even feels off or like, oh my gosh, you just got really stern with me. Well, you know, And they pull back and they go, man, 
here's what's going on with me. And like they, 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 they look deep, they, they put words to their experience and their understanding. And like, I just say for me on, on my side, like it has just, it breeds trust. It breeds camaraderie. Cause I'm like me too. I've done that a million times. Like, and it, and it softens the blow of whatever interaction just happened versus those leaders who are not actively doing that. Like it, I, I'm, I'm more guarded around them. I'm more, I feel unsafe. I'm not sure I can trust that the interaction that's about to happen is going to be okay. Um, and I just find that there's a, a felt difference in that. Again, mm-hmm. not that you have to arrive at it, but I love your suggestion. Just practice, even practice that idea yeah. of introspection and then verbalizing what's happening. Vulnerability is what we call that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my thought, I was, my thought was like zoomed way out to the yeah. meta. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about, you know, you can only love other people as well as you love yourself. Mm. And like this kind of the, the foundation of this is like you have to care for yourself. Mm. And as a supervisor, you're trying to care for other people. Yeah. And if you don't care for yourself, I can't. This is so this shows you folks where I've grown to. I can't yeah. even believe I'm saying I this. I know, right? Right. It sounds really touchy feely. That's not what I'm known for. But it is just, a, I just know in a practical sense, you can't give what you don't have. Right. And so you, this has to start with caring for yourself and loving yourself well so that I can do that for other people. Yeah. And so I know we didn't go over that, but that just yeah. kind of were in the big pictures where my head went. Yeah. No, I love that, Greg, because it, it does. I mean, it just wraps it up nicely with, and, and so how do I do that? I have to sit with myself. I have to examine, look yeah. deep, ask those hard questions. And so today, as we, as we wind down, just, you know, we want to encourage you guys to, to take the old Greek philosophy, know yourself, do the hard work of examine your family of origin, your work experiences, take some of those personality testings that we've uh, prescribed, and then uh, do the TWA, do the, do the examination of thinking words and actions. And uh, we believe that as you do that, you will become a more and more effective leader. Greg, as always, great to be with you. Uh, this is our last episode of 2021. We'll be back in 2022 to continue walking through the Effective Leadership Guide. And of course, again, if you haven't accessed that guide, do so on Workplace in the Learning and Development tab. The entire document is there for your uh, viewing. Greg, thanks so much. See you next year. Thanks for listening to Leading from the Heart. If you have feedback for Chris or Greg, or if there's a topic you would like them to discuss in a future episode, be sure to send them an email or comment on Workplace. Workplace.